Let's face it, the biggest reason for content failing isn't the content, it's usually the people behind the content and a lack of content creation accountability. In this episode, I'll share how world-class brands structure their content teams and people to success, as well as some very fresh updates on the Google Display Network, as well as really simple tips to take your display ads to the next level. Plus, struggling with creating your own monthly newsletter? Well, I might just have the pill for you. All that and a whole lot more in this episode of Inbound Buzz. Welcome to the Inbound Buzz Podcast, your weekly jolt of all things digital and inbound marketing. Brought to you by redpandas.com.au. Now for your host and co-founder of Red Pandas, Moby Sadiq. Welcome to another episode of Inbound Buzz. I'm your host, Moby Sadiq, wishing you very well for episode number 57. Now, you know you're a geek or something is wrong with you when you get excited by the following news. Larry Kim has left WordStream. Big deal. Whoop-de-doo. I know, right? But like I said, I found this pretty exciting. Now, Larry, of course, is the founder of WordStream, an automated AdWords management tool, and it does a whole bunch of analysis and auditing. Um, You can look into your account, see where you're wasting money, what ads you should be spending more on. Really, really cool. And a lot of the stuff that this can do can replace a a resource, you know, a human being. And of course, we had Mark, the uh, data scientist from WordStream, on a couple of weeks ago. So definitely a great one to check out if this is a tool that interests you. Now, I find this story fascinating and maybe it's a it's you know, it's a great reminder on why you should leave on top. The idea of quitting while you're ahead, right? When things when the chips are high and um, looking to the next challenge, to always be challenging yourself. So Larry started Wordsmith in 2007, 13 years ago, and he turned it into a global brand managing around 1 billion dollars in AdWords revenue and they've got, you know, I'm guessing thousands and thousands of customers on the platform. Like a lot of great businesses, WordStream grew out of the desire to try and streamline uh, something, right? Fix something, make something efficient. And, you know, Larry found that there was a problem with a lot of the manual stuff that you have to do with AdWords day in, day out. And that's, of course, when the light bulb went off and he realized, hey, this is a painkiller, right? Not a vitamin. Like the solution I can develop is a painkiller to this problem. And people will pay money for this. That's a litmus test for every business. Is it a painkiller or is it a vitamin? Larry, who, you know, funnily enough, he became known as a bit of an internet marketer, never really planned to do that. That's not what he set out to do, become an internet marketer and, you know, a guy speaking at all these summits and at Inbound. Um, And he actually wants to get back to his roots, his strengths, his strengths of product development and engineering. So a couple of lessons in that if you read between the lines, quitting on top and and focusing on what you're good at, you know, what makes you happy. So wishing Larry the very, very best. He's moving on to a new startup in the mobile space. I think it's called something like Mobile Monkeys or something. Um, It looks all to be hush-hush at the moment if you check out the website. There's nothing there but a but a, a form, and I'll share that in the show notes, redpandas.com.au e, forward slash EP57, so you can sign up to his updates and see what this very talented dude is doing. Now, okay, on to some other news, and this is something that's definitely more impactful to you and I as marketers or business owners, and that's the announcement by Google just a couple of days ago before I recorded this episode that Google Display Ads will now be able to include a number of location extensions. So Google Display Ads will now be able to have location extensions. 
on search and uh, search ads this is not new this is very very old so this has been around for a long time on search ads right so you you you're on google.com you punch in a query and you get an ad and you've got these extensions and you might have these extensions like phone number or a location link or something right but now that Google is taking this to the display world, display ads, so ads on the Google Display Network, which I think last time I looked into it covers something like 85% of the world's internet population. So, you know, if your audience is online, chances are they'll be hit by the Google Display Network. Now they'll also be able to have uh, additional links like photos, business hours, store locations, um, and little map snippets. So you know when you search for a local business or a local restaurant, right? You're on Google, you search for a local restaurant, buy a name, and then you get like a little map snippet, and then underneath it, you've got these kind of three little buttons. One says uh, website, one says call, one says directions. Well, you'll be able to get similar things like that on display ads now. And in the show notes, I'll check out an example from Google's official release, um, which you can obviously get at redpandas.com.au forward slash EP57. And I'll share an example, right? So say you're trying to market a trendy restaurant. You own a trendy restaurant or you're trying to market that restaurant and your targeted persona is foodies, right? Foodies. So while on the display network, you can actually tell Google, say, you know, look, hey, Google, you know, obviously not by voice, via the platform, you want to target cooking blogs, now, I want to pause for a second here because people forget how powerful and how robust the Google Display Network is. And that's probably because of Facebook. You know, Facebook's targeting is so robust. You can get down to interests. You can get down to, you know, people who like white shirts and little cars and, you know, funny hats, right? You can get so, so specific when it comes to Facebook. Um, it kind of dwarfs Google. But Google's really, really powerful in, in some of these targeting stakes as well. So, just a couple of, just a quick sort of primer on some of the things you can target on the display network. Some of these you might know, but it's always good to remind yourself. One of the things you can do is target contextual topics, right? So the example that we had here was, you know, targeting websites that are talking about, you know, food or trendy food, right? You can do that. You can target pages with a theme. So for example, say you're in wealth management, you can target um, websites or blogs that are talking about investment options and shares and the market and that sort of stuff that's one contextual topic targeting right look for a topic another one is keywords you can actually target keywords on display as well so a good place to start would be the keywords you would try on a search ad or a search campaign and drop them in you can do it that way the next one is probably my favorite and it's the easiest to articulate and that's placements so say you're uh, in the technology space and you're um, releasing a, a tool for investors, right? And you know they're on Bloomberg.com and you know they're on WallStreetJournal.com and the Financial Review. Well, you can take these websites in the Google Display Network setup. You can take you know, the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Review and you can drop that into the tool and it will say whether you can target them or not. But the beauty is you might punch in three or four websites. It will give you in any anywhere from dozens to hundreds of other examples and it will tell you how relevant they are to the initial website you punched in so i might put wall street journal and pick all the websites that google suggested are highly relevant right one of my favorites another one is audiences so you can target age gender for example the, uh, and of course you know the staple the one that you should always start with is remarketing and re remarketing for me broadly falls into two key areas so just sort of static brand ads or dynamic ads you know ads that chase you around based on the exact product you looked at 
And dynamic ads don't necessarily have to be for the e-commerce space. If you're in the B2B space and you uh, um, operate services, you can have dynamic ads too. You just won't have prices on them, right? Okay, let's bring this back to the news item. Say you're that this funky, trendy restaurant, right? And you want to target foodies. So you could use placements, and I gave what that example was, and you could target specific food blogs. Now, the foodie browsing that cooking blog, you know, might see the ad, but then underneath it, see the information for um, contact details and time and um, location, you know, even seeing a map. So this, if they're in that kind of buying mode, this is a great primer for them to kind of get there. And from Google's test, of course, there's going to be bias, right? But from Google's own early testing, they've shown that they've, um, when they've utilized this, they've shown an increase of 60% in terms of clicks with extensions relating to directions or store information. So when these new extensions were used, you know, related to directions or store information, of course, we're talking about local businesses uh, businesses here. Um, they saw a 60% increase. Now, I think this, this is fantastic for advertisers. The great change. Display ads haven't seen a lot of change and update for a long time. And it's a good way to have strong call to actions along with your display ad. For consumers, though, I don't know. Time will tell whether they want to see even bigger ads with sort of more places you can accidentally click on. I don't know. We'll, we'll kind of wait and see, right? But, you know, the preliminary data seems to be good. The other cool thing is display ads. And you'll know this if you've if you've heard AdWords, you know, if you've heard that word, you'll know that search ads are really, really expensive and display ads are almost always, almost always cheaper, substantially cheaper. You're talking about cents instead of dollars, right? But keep in mind, of course, you know, search, you're looking at dollars, three, four, five, six, you know, twenty, thirty dollars a click even um, on display. You can get a lot less than that a few cents right depending on the network you target but keep in mind though it's different you know often one of the one of my bugbears is when people ask you know facebook ads versus google and it's so clickbaity right because they're different contexts and the same thing can be said about said about display and search on search people are looking for something on display you're interrupting them with something that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing you know you can interruptive ads been selling billions of dollars and they'll sell billions of dollars you know for years on to come um but you might not want to go in for the kill right away so if someone is you are this trendy restaurant and you are targeting these ads you know you might not necessarily want to just say buy something actually that's not a great example because they say if you're kind of in the hundred dollars or less you can fall into an impulse buy so the hundred dollar mark and less you can say buy right if you've done your targeting right and say it's remarketing it's a lot easier but for most businesses that I speak to whose products are a lot more than $100, they're either in lead generation or B2B space or have solutions that cost tens and thousands of dollars, for instance, um, you, you can't just go in for the kill, you know? And I think uh, we might have had actually Mark from WordStream talk about this as well. Display ads are a great way to sell content. Think of it as selling content. It might be an article, right? It might be an ebook or whatever, right? Don't go in for the kill right away. You might need to promote content first and then use remarketing to come with a harder, colder call to action. And there's the merits, there's the making of a little funnel. Go out with content, put your, obviously your cost per click targets might be a lot lower and once they're a lot warmer, you'd, you'd be, you're happy to spend a little bit more on remarketing ads that are more bottom of funnel sales driven. Cool. 
hopefully that made a lot of sense and you can see the value, particularly if you're a local business or have some kind of local offering. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about curated content for a moment. So curated content, of course, should be one key part of your content marketing mix. And it refers to collecting, organizing, and promoting other people's, other websites' content. So anytime you've ever tweeted a news article or on Facebook you've shared a link, you're essentially curating content, you know? So like everything else, though, curated content is best done in moderation. If you only ever curate content, you only ever share other people's stuff, it might appear a little bit lazy. Some brands can get away with it. Some brands are great content aggregators, but more and more often than not, that is usually because of a precise strategy, right? It's not a lazy thing. But when done in balance though, it can be fantastic because it diversifies your content and you can make that content appear a lot less biased as well. If you know your persona well, then giving them value and being associated with that source of value can only ever be a good thing. And that's what inbound marketing is about. Now, the reason why I bring this up, and that was a little bit of a prologue to the featured tool of today's episode. One I've been playing around with, um, one I know you guys will really, really like, and it's called Review, right? R-E-V-U-E, Review, spelled obviously in a trendy hipster kind of way, right? It's marketed as the easiest way to create curated newsletters. So in short, what it will allow you to do is quickly and easily curate content from around the web. This is not written by you. And um, you can create a bit of an email digest. So you can wrap all that up. You can say, look, you know, here is stuff from around the web, or this is what's happening in our industry this week or this month. And you can send that out to your database. Now, you should be creating your own content. Yes, right? Ideally, you should be using this tool to blend your own and curated content. And yes, you can do that. You can use this tool. You might curate some stuff from elsewhere and and drop in your own kind of bits and pieces. Um, But the thing is, you can, but most of us don't have a consistent, regular newsletter. Most of us don't. Done is better than perfect, right? And creation has the added benefit of providing you with free market research before you invest time to create some content. So, I use Twitter very similar way, right? So for instance, most of the stuff that I tweet, 90% of it is not created by me. Most of it's actually automated, but I tweet a lot, right? So I'm tweeting all the time, three or four times a day. Some tweets will get no traction, but regularly I'll punch a, a, a bunch of tweets up there and some of them will get five, six, seven likes and shares. So that tells me what the market is resonating with. And what I should think about when creating my own content. And honestly, you don't know until you put stuff out there. Yes, you start getting a bit of a sixth sense on how to write titles and and how to write things that are slightly, you know, I don't say clickbait, but they 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 they're more likely to get clicks. Yes, you you develop that over time, um, but you just don't know sometimes. So I do that all the time to kind of see what is resonating with the market. What can I then take and then do a deep dive into for my own content, for my own videos. Now, perfection is the enemy of progress. And if you're not creating or sending anything, then using a tool like Review is a great place to start and I would definitely recommend this one to you. If the last time, you can't remember the last time you sent a newsletter or you, you've done it um, less than once a quarter, then check a tool like this out. It will, it will at least give you some traction. So how would you use Review on a day-to-day basis? Well. The first thing you would do is you would add it to your browser as a button. Technically, for those who are a little bit more savvy, tech savvy, it's called a bookmarklet. And all you do is you kind of drag this button 
into your browser. And as you see stuff around the web you think is relevant, you kind of click the button and review collects it all for you. And this could be content from everywhere. This could be content from YouTube. It doesn't have to be brand new content, right? It could be content from Medium, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal, Instagram, whatever, right? Then what you can do is send it off as a newsletter. What this also does is it creates a web page with a with previous newsletter issues. So some you know newsletter services, some emails are email providers like this. You know you'll often have a web page version. It's kind of like that, but then you can go back and see previous issues as well. It has very clean UX, very user friendly, easy to digest, and the call to actions are quite nice as well. They'll have these call to actions where it says you know subscribe to receive future updates and issues. I'm definitely definitely a fan. Something I've been playing with. Now, as far as integrations go, you can integrate with uh, probably any tool set of your choice, you know, like MailChimp, or I know you can do it, uh, you can integrate with HubSpot, but you've got to use a Zapier. So Zapier is like a middleware, middleman kind of thing, and what Zapier does, if you haven't used it, it connects, you know, one database or one program to another program, and it allows you to send data through. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Zapier, um, Obviously, you would prefer a native integration, but it works. It does work, right? Now, with Review, there is a free version, and it uh, you get, I think, 200 subscribers. Yes, that's right. You get 200 subscribers with a free version, and you get the Review logo, like a lot of free versions, and you get their colors, right? From For $5 a month, you can actually remove the logo, use your own colors, have your own domain as well for your back issues, which is fantastic. And that gives you around 1,500 subscribers, and it goes up from there. So check it out if you're interested, getrevue.co, or you can get the link in the show notes. In the show notes, I also share a competitor, so an alternative to um, getrevue called curated.co. This one's a little bit more expensive, and they both have their own pros and cons, so I'll let you check it out in your own time and see what works for you. Finally, for our featured buzz of the week... And that is content teams or content resources. So talking about not creating enough content, the biggest contributor to content execution and production failing in my mind is poor teams. This is an increasing problem actually and I'm seeing this more and more. Today more brands than ever are creating more content than they ever have. CMI, the Content Marketing Institute, found that 70% of B2B brands were creating more content than they did the year prior. The problem that's coming with that is how you structure resources and the right team behind it. The thing is, when it comes to content, unless somebody owns it, unless they have ownership behind it, it will fail. It's as simple as that. What usually ends up happening is the responsibility of content is tacked on, right? It's just added on to someone's role, like the marketing manager's role or the digital marketing manager's role, right? And it always plays second place to their tasks and duties, all the other stuff they've got to do. Marcus actually talks about this in his book a fair bit, and he says that he finds time and time again, just adding it onto someone's role only adds to more stress and produces very little results, which in turn results in teams making false statements like, look, we've tried this content marketing stuff, but it didn't work for us, and I would have to agree 100%. Now, if you're a bigger organization, paying three or four agencies, a media agency, a content agency, you might find there is more than enough work to actually hire a full-time content manager. When you consider all the amounts of content, all the types of content that, that you need in the frequency that you need, this isn't as far-fetched as it sounds and a lot of the more successful brands are doing this, 
right? And they create all the content. This person can create all the content for your comms department, right? Or your comms team, local area marketing efforts, product marketing efforts, blogging. And hey, if you're really, really lucky, if they've got some video uh, chops, and really video marketing is more around really just having initiative and wanting to try something, then fantastic. So first and foremost, you need to put someone in charge of the content strategy. Someone who defines the blog posts and the articles and the the media elements, the social elements as well. Now, um, having someone in charge and someone creating it, they can be two different people. You might hire an agency or a consultant for that or um, someone in the marketing team. But then having someone for the day-to-day execution, uh, the day-to-day creation, the, the person who's probably writing a lot, that could be a separate person as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be just the one content creator, right? If you have that, that is going to be more important than the resource who creates a strategy and is not able to fulfill that on a day-to-day. The other bottleneck, of course, is the approval process. Before we changed our own processes, we used to have clients that had seven or eight articles banked up, right? Waiting for approvals. And the worst thing for content is waiting for three people up the chain to approve it and tweak it, which not only results in a timely problem, but you know what happens when too many people stir the pot, especially people who don't understand the customer. It comes back really, really self-serving and just just bad, like just butchered. So give that person responsibility, give them guidelines if you need to, but have one person approving the content. So it doesn't have, it's, it's good to have that as, as someone external, right? To the person who's writing the content. So, so still at your organization, this person could be the manager, this person could be the CMO, this person could be the MD, whoever it is, but one person approving the content as well. Having a creator and having a, an approver is a big, big factor in consistency. And production consistency is a lot more important, dare I say, than production perfection even. The pace at how fast content moves, how fast digital moves, means that you can't try to be perfect. As Seth Godin says, you have to kind of ship it. I'm not talking about sending it out with errors and mistakes, um, but recognizing that, you know what, it's out there, it meets the guidelines, it's not saying anything bad, we're not going to get sued by this, we can tweak this stuff later. Now, in terms of content, if if we've mentioned consistency, in terms of content, if you can get to sort of three to four pieces of content per week, that seems to be a really, really good sweet spot for the people who are doing very well in content, three to four times a week. Some of that can be curated content as well we spoke about, right? And curated content doesn't just have to be a share on Facebook or a Twitter. A pro way to do it could be you. there's a, a YouTube video, right? And you drop that onto your blog and you add a little bit of commentary around it. If you're in Australia, oh sorry, if you're in Sydney actually, you'll be familiar with a radio station called Triple M and they do a lot of that. They get trailers and you know, songs and whatever and they'll or images and they'll drop that into their blog, put a little bit of commentary around it and then they share that particular link, not the link of the actual um, creator of the content. And of course, best practice is to reference that person uh, whose GIF or whose infographic you're using to comment on. That's the professional thing to do. Now, if you have the bandwidth and resources to hire a full-time content writer, then amazing. That'll suit a lot of bigger brands. But if you can't afford to do so, and that'll probably be most people, then you should look at getting an editor. And I say an editor because you don't want perfection to get away in creating your content. So a lot of content is going to come from your 
customer service agents and your product champions and um, the founder of the company. But it doesn't have to be written like War and Peace. It doesn't have to be written like Shakespeare. You can just have a bunch of dot points armed with a series of guidelines as well. An editor will take your dot points and turn them into a story. They can turn them into a consistent story and a consistent style as well. So also you have to keep in mind is using an editor doesn't reflect poorly on the writer. Right? So if people get offended, make them understand that it doesn't reflect poorly on them. Studies have actually shown that a writer reading his or own content often mentally corrects mistakes that appear in print. The writer knows what he or she meant, therefore they become blind to the errors. And this is maybe why when you sometimes write your own stuff, you might find a whole bunch of errors, but you read other people's stuff and you can actually pick up on a lot more errors because your, your brain's working a little bit harder to uh, look, look out for those mistakes essentially. Now, the key here is obviously having the editor beyond the writer. Right, someone who is good at grammar, someone who has attention for detail. There's no problem doing this internally if you can find someone, but again, you can't just tack it onto their role because it would just be shelved. These kind of things, whether you're the, the writer, whether you're the approver, whether you're the, uh, the editor, it needs to be worked into people's job descriptions, into the actual roles, right? So people see the value, even if they're the accountant, but they're also the editor, this doesn't get shelved because they're still adding value in this part of their role as opposed to the other parts of their role as well. Finally, this is not going to apply again for the smaller brands, but if you're working in bigger teams, bigger brands, it's a great idea to have someone in charge of design and aesthetics. You can have the best written content on earth, but if it isn't presented in a visually appealing way, particularly if you're in a big brand and brand consistency is very, very important for you, it's going to be difficult to get that consumed. Content with relevant images gets 94% more views than content without relevant images. It's best practice, in fact, to have an image every few paragraphs. So say for a 600-word article, you might have three or four images, a bit of text, an image, a bit of text, a bit of an image, and having the hero image appearing on top. And that's where guidelines come into it as well. The more and more blogs and articles and content you create, you'll find you need something that kind of steers you to consistency. And guidelines are going to be great for that. But not sure what you're looking for. It's best just to start and see how you go. So accountability, that is essentially the, the theme, right? Having SLAs or service level agreements between the creator, the approver, the editor, and maybe even the designer uh, are going to be key and integral to the success of your consistency and performance of your content. On that note, I'll bid you farewell once you finish your jog or your drive or whatever you might be doing. Definitely check out the show notes, redpandas.com.au forward slash EP57. And if you want to reach me, you can get me at Moby Sadiq on Twitter or Moby at redpandas.com.au. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead and I'll join you again for another episode of Inbound Buzz. Thanks for listening to Inbound Buzz. Learn anything? Return the favor by spreading the word. Want to make your mark in digital? Need help with your digital strategy, inbound, and marketing automation efforts? Then visit redpandas.com.au and be sure to tune in next time for another Inbound Buzz hit.